Uh, this morning, the, the, the song that I, I want to, to teach on or preach on is this one we just sang, Oh, Come to the Altar. And um, this song has been resonating with me for a while. This idea, uh, this was probably the first song I picked out for this series. Um, and part of it was I went through the idea of sacrifice earlier this year. We talked about sacrifice. But then I'm thinking about, oh, come to the altar. And I try to think of these songs through the lens of Christians and, and through the lens of people who've never read the scriptures, like all these different lenses. And even in my own lens, the altar is such a confusing place. Because when I grew up, I went to the Catholic church and the altar was this platform up front and there was a table on it with a cool looking tablecloth. There was gold stuff here and gold stuff everywhere. And that was the altar. And then I went to a Pentecostal church and they had these railings up front of the church. And that was the altar. And then they wanted to get rid of the railings and everybody was scared that we were getting rid of the altar. You know, I think in our context or in our lens, when we sing this song, like, if we don't know where the altar is, then how can we tell people to come there? We're just making people lost. Like, come to the altar. Okay, am I going here? They're not there. Where do I go? And so I wanted to look at, biblically, what is this idea of, of altar? And what is this song in particular communicating to us? Or are we singing when we make this, you know, pastors do altar calls? What does that mean? Like comes to the steps, come to the front? Is that where the altar is now? Is in the front of a church, in the front of a sanctuary? What are we communicating? What are we saying when we say this? And I'm going to get to that. There's a couple lines because, again, I just like to look at these songs through a perspective of someone who may not know that I wanted to address. The last one that Tim sang, uh, Trading Our Sorrow for a Crown or whatever, Walt talked about that last week, so I don't have to address that at all. If you didn't hear it, then you can listen to it online. Um, or you can just ask Walt later. It would be a lot quicker. Um, but that's besides the point, depending on how many people ask you. It might be. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but anyway, um, so there's two lines that I want to talk about that I read in this song that I thought, hey, those could probably use a little bit of perspective. So the first one was this one that said, do you thirst for a drink from a well? And being a city boy, like what's a well? Like I grew up in Cincinnati. Wells weren't there anymore. Like that's a thing for, for, for people out somewhere else in western Nebraska, I guess. Like out here we resonate with this idea of drinking from a well. Where I came from, we drank from the faucet, we drank from the tap, we drank from the hose. I mean, that's what it was. Like it wasn't a well, this wasn't a big deal. Um, but, but contextually what this line is drawing us back to and I'm going to do these real quick in Scripture. John chapter 4. says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and, and drank from it himself, as he did also as did also his sons and his livestock? Now, pause just for me. And like when I read this, I was like, that was a heck of a well. Like dealing with like Pastor Mike and or Pastor Tara and Mike, like their well drying up and how wells dry up. Like how long this well has been producing, that was a pretty cool story, but that was a sidebar completely. Um, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. 
Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a wellspring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So we're singing this line, do you thirst for a drink from the well? We're not really asking people like, hey, like the question is, are you thirsty? Like, do you want a drink? We got some cold water up front. We're really really talking about the promise that Jesus revealed to this Samaritan woman at the well, that he's living water. And you can drink from him if you're thirsty, and you'll never thirst again. He is the well in which we're singing about. The other one uh, that I wanted to address just quickly before I really start preaching, bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. Because especially the second part, from the ashes, a new life is born. And I think we can read that and say, what are we singing here? Like ashes, new life, like what is this about? What are we talking about? The scripture reference that I have for that one, Isaiah 63, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Ashes, biblically, are a lot of times deal with mourning. So when people were in mourning, they would cover themselves with sackcloth and ashes. And it was to to let everyone know that they were in mourning. I mean, that was the position. That was what they did. That's what they clothed themselves with were ashes. This line is saying that there's, there's joy that will come from sorrow. There's new life that will come from the ashes. I mean, we've got the mythological phoenix that rises out of the ashes that in, in, in stories the, the idea that through the brokenness, and again, we're talking about the altar, and there's burnt offerings on the altar, that through the, the, the offerings or the sacrifice, new life comes up. That's the connotation uh, of that one that I discovered as well. But getting back to the main idea of my sermon, the altar talking about maybe a little bit of internal confusion or internal struggling that I had to go through when it was this. So what I'm going to do is look at the altar throughout Scripture. I want to spend time this morning looking at what Scripture says about the altar. The first time we see an altar is in Genesis chapter 8, the first literal altar that we see. And there was this guy named Noah. Remember, he built a boat. There was a flood, bad flood. Everything died. He sent out some birds. When the waters receded, they came back, or they didn't come back, and so he knew he could come out of the ark. So, so Noah, he was the only righteous guy in the land. Uh, anyway, he comes out of the ark, it says, and he built an altar to the Lord, taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, He sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Now, this is uh, verse 21. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. Now, I don't know about you, but burning birds and animals and to calling that a pleasing aroma. That's one of those moments in Scripture where you're like, dude, you're weird. Like my son, Levi, we walk into the garage and he's like, 
man, I love the smell of the garage. It's dusty. Uh, it's oily. It's just not really an appealing smell. Um, but he likes it. You know how some people are just strange? God's just wired a little bit different. He likes the smell of burning hair. I mean, that's crazy. But it says that God, I know it wasn't the smell that literally made him uh, happy. It was Noah's uh, position in that moment, but that's besides the point. He smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all the living creatures I have done, as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. For Noah, the altar, when he built it, became a place of promise. So he built an altar, offered a sacrifice to God, but God, when he, he, he experienced the sacrifice, gave Noah promise. So the altar for Noah was a place of promise, a story that we know as well. These are stories that we should know well from, sorry, I won't do this again. That's hard to see up there, obviously. Um, it was a place of provision for Abraham. Abraham took wood of the burnt uh, offering and placed it on his son Isaac, as he and he carried him uh, or the fire. <laughs> he didn't carry him. That'd been a cool story, but anyway, sorry. He carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, "Father, yes, my son Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God Himself will provide the lamb of the burnt offering, my son." And the two of them went on together. They reached the place God had told him about. Abraham built an altar there and arranged wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took a knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only son. Abraham looked up. And there he saw a thicket. In a, in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, or the, yeah, called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. So Noah, it, it was about God's promise. When Abraham built an altar and he honored God through the altar, uh, this place, uh, it became a place where God provided. I know I'm not really talking about the structures. I'm not talking about what they built. We don't really know. We know he built an altar. Well, what did he do to build it? See, because that's where I think sometimes we get ourselves distracted with what is this altar? We're going to continue on. This is a story about Jacob. Jacob reached a place. He was tired, so he grabbed a rock is what it says. I mean, this is a crazy dude. Um, These people like... Uh, anyway, taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head, lay down, and went to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. It was a stairway to heaven. Led Zeppelin sang about it. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. And I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. The descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I'm with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go. And I'll bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until 
you have done what I promised you. So Jacob fell asleep on a rock and he had a really cool dream where God showed up. That's what all I just read said, right? So he wakes up. When he woke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Or the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. That was his altar. And he called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Why? Because it was a place of the presence of God. Jacob wasn't focused on the promise as much as the reality that God was, was here. That God was where the altar was. Was. He, he built an altar and he, he said, I want this to be known as a place of his presence. Moses, we're going through these fast. Maybe this is not working now. There we go. The Lord said to Moses, write on this scroll as something to be remembered. And make sure Joshua hears it because I will blot out the name of Amalek from under the heaven. What happened was the Amalekites had just attacked the Egyptians. God had delivered them. Uh, he had defeated the Amalekites. And so Moses is honoring God for what had just taken place. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, Because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Oftentimes, biblically, we see people of God building, they literally build an altar as a place of remembrance or a place of praise. Like Moses wanted to acknowledge what God had done, so he built an altar there to be able to acknowledge to God what he had done. The altars were synonymous with praise. They didn't want to forget what had happened, and so they would build an altar so that they would remember for generations to come what took place there. So the altar, uh, so far, just in case I haven't talked fast enough for you, it's been a place of promise, it's been a place of provision, it's been a place of presence, and it's been a place of praise. Uh, I have three more. Elijah. We know the story. Prophets of Baal, him. Going back and forth, they're going to say, which God is the true God? Um, It becomes a place of power. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seahs of seed, which I'm sure is a lot, if we knew what a seah was. Uh, He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, laid it on the wood, And he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. They did it a third time. The water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. And that I'm your servant and I have done all these things you command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me, so these people will know that you are the Lord, and you are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then, this is power, fire of the Lord fell down and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate. Yes, that's the correct way to say it. Um, And cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. For Elijah, the the altar became a place where he experienced the power of God. Others experienced presence. They they praised there. He's experiencing the power of God. Joel, we're going through the Old Testament fast. So, I mean, this has been a quick run through the Old Testament. 
Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of other places where we see the altar. The altar is a place of prayer. The people, he's calling the people. He's a prophet preaching about repentance. And he says to the people, let the priest who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. That's the position they're in. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Then the Lord was jealous for his land. He took pity on his people. The Lord replied to them, I'm sending you grain, new wine, and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. So in Joel's reign, or when he was the prophet, uh, what, what the altar became was a place of intercession. It was a place where the people could go, where they could pray, where they could experience the, the, the provision of God. They could call on God. God would hear them when they came there. It was a place of prayer. And ultimately, all throughout the Old Testament, Exodus 20, make an altar of the earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your fellowship offerings, your sheep, your goats, and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. It was a place of sacrifice. The altar, ultimately, where we see it functioning in the Old Testament, is a place where the priest would go to offer up sacrifices to God. It'd be the place where he would go to offer up sacrifices for forgiveness, for sin, for all these things. He's going there and offering. It was a place of sacrifice resulting in the forgiveness of man. And I went through all of these things, the the presence, the promise, the power, the, 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 the prayer, all these things... Because the altar in the Old Testament, the simplest way for me to put it, was where people met God. I mean, I can, we, we can talk for hours if you want. I can read more and more stories. But every, everything about this, the altar, was the position or the place in where man met God or in where God met man. That was where it took place. That's what happened in the Old Testament. The altar, what makes it so powerful, is the reality that it was this place, it was this position in which men knew they were going to experience the presence of God. They knew that God would be there when they came there and they could experience Him. They could know Him. They could be assured by Him. They could see His power. They could, they could allow Him to hear the petitions of their heart. All throughout the Old Testament, that's, that's what it is. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. This position was, the altar was synonymous with the presence of God. The altar was where we would go to find him. We wanted a place near the altar because that's where he was. That's where we could access him. That's where we could experience him. Blessed are those that dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. The altar in the Old Testament. You know, the cool thing about the Old Testament, it's important for the New Testament. That's the fun thing about the Old Testament. 
The fun thing when we read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus Christ is it brings to life all these things. Like, why are we building altars? Like, why are we sacrificing animals? What, what, what's happening? But when we know who Jesus Christ is, when we know what Jesus Christ accomplished, suddenly those things in the old, they come to life. And so when we look at the old and we're telling people, we're singing a song that says what God said to us. Did you hear what he said to us this morning in worship? There's someone here who's broken. That's what he said. I didn't repeat it because I felt like it was probably addressed for someone specific. He said, in in this place, is there someone here who's broken, right? Do you know what the first line of our song? Are you hurting and broken within? You see, God is speaking to us today because I believe that we need the altar in our churches today. We need the altar, this this position or place in which we can experience the power of God. The presence of God. I'm not talking about railings or tables right now. I'm talking about the altar fulfilled in Jesus Christ. A place of promise. A place of provision. A place of presence, of praise, of power, of prayer, and forgiveness. Sounds a lot like what Jesus Christ has provided for me today. It sounds a lot like what Jesus Christ has done. Remember the words of Jesus? He said, I am the... The way, the truth, and the life. The altar was what? The place where God met man, right? Jesus Christ says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through. He's the altar. All that was. The moments with Noah, the moment with Elijah, the moment with Moses, the moment with Joel, the moment with Jacob. It was preparing us to be able to understand what was going to be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. He is the altar. He is the way in which you and I experience the Father. He is the one through whom we know God's love, the one through whom we experience His presence. There's scripture about that. Hebrews 13. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. Talking about those who are consumed with the old. There's something new happening. That's what Hebrews is about. Hebrews does a lot of this typology, comparing the old to the new. He's saying right here, we have an altar. You guys are thinking it's this table up front or these these wood rails up front or even the steps, whatever you want to say. We have an altar with which those who minister at the tabernacle, they have no right to eat. Why? Because they don't know who Jesus Christ is. The high priest carries the blood of the animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make people... To make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him. Let's go to the altar. Outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore, for here 
We do not have an enduring city, but we're looking for the city that's come. Through Jesus, he's the altar. Through Jesus Christ, therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. You guys can come forward. When we sing the words, come to the altar, it's an invitation to Jesus Christ. It's an invitation to the way that God has prepared for you and I. It's an invitation that's for us in the moments where things are great and us for in the moments where we're broken and discouraged. It's an invitation that we have to come to the very presence of of God. You know, and as I was thinking about this, I mean, there's something profound about the memorial stones. There's something powerful about the place. I'm not questioning the need for, for people to come to the front of the church or, 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 or to have a pew or, or a table. Because sometimes that reminds me to position myself with what's happening there, with what has happened there. It helps me to prepare for the place of God there. But the reality is that God challenged me with during worship. This is a God thought he downloaded on me in worship. You are the altar. Your life is the altar. Jesus Christ ultimately is the one, but does he not use you and I so others can know the Father? Does he not use our lives? Does he not use our words? Does he not use our actions? Do you know, I think when we sing the song, come to the altar, people don't know where to go to find the presence of God. Like, do I go up front? Do I go to the back? Do I kneel down? Do I stand up? We get consumed with the formulas, the presence of God. He's indwelled you with his spirit. We're his messengers. We're his representatives in this world. This morning we're going to sing this song again, and I want to have an opportunity for us to come into his presence. I want to do the formal. If you need prayer, I'm up here to pray with you. If you're hurting and broken within... Come find a place where you can experience Jesus Christ. But I also want to reiterate something that God has placed on my heart. That maybe the position you need this morning isn't at the front of the church, but it's with a friend. It's with a spouse. It's with a relative. It's with someone you look up to. It's with with someone you admire. Because see, the altar's important because it reminds me of the presence of God. And so the next time I'm hurting and broken within, and I feel like God is calling me, I can call Greg. I need someone to pray for me. I can call Pastor and say, Pastor, I need something. I can come to church and expect the presence and power of God, whatever it might be, whatever mode it might be. And we've got to come into the presence of God through the altar of Jesus Christ. Father, this morning, I thank you for what was. To bring revelation to what is. I thank you for the models and molds in in the Old Testament. 
the place of presence, the place of promise. place of power, the place of praise, the place of forgiveness, the place of prayer. It was established, God, that is that is ours this morning through Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that in this place, that if anyone here needs to meet the Father, that if anyone in this place needs to experience God, His His power, His His presence, His forgiveness, His love, His grace, His mercy, His truth. God, that this day they would come to the altar, Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ. They would look at the sacrifice and see what is theirs through the one who gave it all. That we would experience you. That I pray for altars all across this room. I pray that you would use us to be your representatives. God, I pray that you would use our words, our lives, our actions, our prayers, our interactions to take the the power of God, the presence of God, the impact of God to those who need it. Holy Spirit, help us to respond to you and to what you'd have. In Jesus' name. I'll be up here to pray. If you want to pray with someone else in this room, take time to do that. If you need to find a place where you can experience His presence, do that. There's altar in this place. God wants you to experience Him today. He wants you to hear His voice. To that one in whom you knew that word was for you today, know that God is declaring to you today to not leave this place broken. Know that God is crying out to you today that He's got an answer. The answer comes through Jesus Christ. Know that He's positioned this whole thing so that you can experience His presence, the touch of God this day.
come to the altar. That place you meet the presence of God. That place you know His power. That place you know His provision. His promise comes through Jesus Christ. The Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May He turn His face towards you, grant you His peace. And may you come to the altar. Amen? Be blessed.